0: So for those who do not know me, uh, I'm Nathan Detweiler. I'm the pastor here at the church, and uh, we're very glad to have you with us. I have four kids, so oldest is 11, youngest is four. So we're just starting to experience this uh, this amazing, strange sense that we can actually have a life apart from taking care of people all the time. As a little one now is to be able to shower and feed yourself and different things. So it's just an amazing experience for us. We don't remember what it was like to not have kids. We don't remember what... Why the house was ever messy before we had kids—we don't remember any of those things. Um, we just—we just remember strangely the only the phase we're in right now. And uh, wh- but my oldest, Olivia, when she was two, we were living in an apartment in Saratoga Springs. And uh, like like many girls her age at that time, she was really into Doc McStuffins. Heard of Doc McStuffins? The 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 show about. A little girl whose mother is a physician, and so she imagines she's a physician as well. And so when her mom's not looking, uh, this little girl puts on the lab coat and takes the, the, the instruments, and she cures her, her stuffed animals with their different ailments. So when mom's not looking, you know, it's like Toy Story. The bear comes to life, and, uh, and they all start talking to each other and trying to figure things out. She's always healing things like, you know, a broken heart or feeling left out, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's much more interesting, the kind of toys I grew up with, where people died of dysentery on the Oregon Trail, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, the, to- the, t- the toys were much more severe when we were growing up. But yeah, no, I think th- this, is a gr- this is really a great show, actually. And, uh, I, and Olivia loved the show, and so I think her grandparents bought her a Doc McStuffins outfit, you know? And she wore it all the time. And uh, so she was, she was kind of going around doing checkups and these kinds of things. So the greatest story of Olivia from this time of life, and I should mention my dad is a doctor as well, so she sort of feeds into that. Um, The the greatest story from that time of life, which I know Jackie knows exactly what story this is, uh, Olivia's going around in her Doc McStuffins outfit. She's in a sombrero, and she was wearing, like, winter gloves, in a sombrero and the stethoscope and the the jacket. And she came up to me and I was sitting here at the table, and she said she was going to give me a shot, so she prepared her instruments. She got the band-aid ready. She got the syringe ready. Um, she puts it on my arm. She's just about to inject this not real thing. But she whispers in my ear, shh, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and it was like a horror movie. <laughs> it was so funny. And we that that story, we just, we're always saying to Olivia, hey, Olivia, I'm not a doctor. Today's sermon is about the happiness of Christ. The happiness of Christ. From chapter 3 in our book, Gentle and Lowly, which we're going through in small group together. We don't, as modern people, we don't often think about the happiness of Christ, but there have been hymns written in the past that talk about Jesus dancing, like being the Lord of the dance, and, and almost as if there's this dance over creation, that there's a joy in the Trinity, a joy in Christ. And, but many times in our modern mindset, we just don't think about Christ being happy. We figure he, we hope he's happy, but we don't, we're not really sure about that. The fact is, the Bible talks about Christ's joy. And, it, and uh, the Bible talks about the joy of God. And the, it, it talks about uh, the rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. You know, these kinds of concepts. You know, Jesus, you, we see him in person in, in the scriptures rejoicing. Rejoicing with his disciples when they had a great ministry success. Rejoicing when his good friend, he was able to be risen from the dead. Rejoicing um, as he went about his ministry. Jesus was made to be very happy as he ministered and walked among us. Again, it's not something we often think about. He was, the happiness of Christ is there in in in, in the text. The author of our book, Dane Orland, uh, he makes the point that we often come to God for mercy, we come to God for forgiveness, or help, basically for the various gifts of grace that we that God the Father has offered to us. But we often will pull back internally in disbelief from receiving what Jesus desires to give us, because we have this unbelief that stems from us thinking, you know, God God is giving mercy to me. He's forgiving us, but Maybe he's still, his patience is running low with us. Maybe we've gone too far. Uh, Is is the Father saying to us, yes, I'll give this to you, but you are on thin ice, buddy. You better shape up. Now, these are the kind of images we have in our mind when we think about God. But Dane Orland points out that this is incorrect thinking. Because forgiving and helping sinners and sufferers makes Christ, of all things, happy. It's the joy that was set before Christ when he went to the cross. Imagine that. In Hebrews it says, for the joy set before Christ, he endured the scorn and shame of the people that crucified him. What was that joy? It was the joy of providing forgiveness for us, help for us. Uh, What an amazing thought that is. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin, who, who, who was the inspiration of our book, going through in our small groups. He said, Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by him showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. This makes Jesus happy, according to Goodwin. And when you think about the way the Bible talks about us, it talks about us as the body of Christ. You know? When we're not feeling well, when we're feeling emotionally depressed, we think, well, what, what can we do? Can we change our diet? Can we work out? Can we talk to a therapist? Can we seek after God and pray and fast? Can we seek to be connected with other people who can encourage us? Um, we think about taking care of... because we're, we're thinking about taking care of our own bodies. When people are married, the Bible makes the point that many times their spouse being blessed and relieved and helped is a greater joy to a husband or a wife. Than their, own, than their own happiness and joy. And we are the body of Christ. Jesus delights to care for his own body that he called to himself, which is us. It's his delight and his joy, his happiness even, to give us joy, comfort, forgiveness, pardon, relief, and comfort. We are the members of his body, after all. As I said earlier, my, my father is a dedicated physician, a family physician, and he's probably coming up to his retirement years right now, so he's in the final the final piece of his uh, progression through the medical system. Uh, he, he's worked in, He worked in .ER. For, for 15 years, 20 years, and he was in urgent care for another 15 years, and now he's in private practice. just pretty much worked the gamut of medical stuff. And uh, I can tell you. Uh, My dad has no greater joy when we talk and catch up. He will just start talking to me about his greatest joy and his calling, which is to medicine. And uh, he he is always so excited when one of his patients of course he doesn't tell me personal information. I know that is illegal. Um, But he just rejoices and tells me when one of his patients has an improvement in their health. And he's seen them for years and then they find something that really helps them. And he, he I, I, th- I think probably, like most of us would feel, he especially is joyful when they take his advice. But I, I found my father to be equally joyful when people find their own solutions. Because then in his mind, he, he tucks that away and says, I'm going to talk to patients A, a B, and, and C about this. Maybe this will help them. He just becomes more and more excited about learning and sharing and trying to help people. You know, he, he is one of those people who's really called to be a doctor who, who does not enjoy any of the administrative stuff or the things, that, that, that part of it, the paperwork. But he just loves people. He loves to spend lots of time helping to heal people. Um, I think my dad took it really seriously when he took his oath to, to be a doctor. And after so many years of faithful service, uh, it's nice to see him still enjoying and, and, and rejoicing in his job. And, you know, wh- why is my dad rejoicing in his job? Because he sees people being helped. He sees that he is making a difference either by encouraging people or by making a a regimen of of treatment for them or whatever it might be. He he loves it. And why does he feel that way? Because because he's a doctor. That's what he became a doctor to do. That's his it's his greatest joy in his work. And also his deepest pain when he sees a patient go the other direction or have to put on hospice care or, or, or pass away or become sink into a depression. And that's, that bothers him, too. He calls them his friends. I love that about my dad. Today we're going to be reading from Luke five twelve. It's going to be up on the screen for you to read along. It's a longish passage, but we see a few scenes from Jesus' life that I think really uh, show us something important about God. Well, Jesus was in one of the towns... A man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Another translation could be, Lord, if you, if you want to, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. I do want to, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus in his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Jesus' mission statement. If ever there was a mission statement for Christ, that's his mission statement. It's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus is a doctor. It's his great joy to do this after demonstrating this, this actual miraculous healing in cleansing uh, this leprous man in the beginning of chapter 5 and this wasting skin disease, then he, right after that, he, he physically heals a paralyzed man. And then he calls one of the hated people of his own day, the tax collector, uh, to have a banquet where he spends time with people um, who he came to save. The people that were considered undesirable, the sick. Here they were at, with Jesus at a banquet. And as Jesus is reclining with these people, the religious community, for the first time in Luke, comes forward, the, the, the Pharisees, and they critique Jesus for even associating with such sinners. And they especially condemn him for eating a meal with them because that was that would have been seen in his day as a sign of friendship. It's not the healthy who need a friend but the sick, in, in a way. Um, it was a sign of friendship, this this meal that Jesus had with, with his kid, with his uh, friends. And just at the right moment, Jesus, who had just healed this leprous man, this paralyzed man, and even forgiven the sins of the paralytic, says what should have been obvious to everybody. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous the sinners repentance. You know, Jesus is a, a physician of the soul, body, and heart. He is a healer, a forgiver, and a restorer. First, in, in Luke 5, 12 to 16, you know, Jesus heals a person with leprosy. You now, leprosy was not just an incurable skin disease, which it which it was. It was a social death sentence. When a person had leprosy, we, we do a good job in our day, I, I would hope, in the church of Saying, you know, we don't hate the sinner; we hate the sin. And that day, it was, we hate the the sinner because they deserve the sin, the judgment they have of them. That was the perspective. The belief was that someone who had leprosy was under a curse, a punishment from God, and, uh, and they were being punished for their sins. That's pretty harsh, but that's what was believed. They also they, they believed that, that the person with leprosy was being punished for their sin and also having a divine curse from God on themselves brought about by their unforgivable sin. So when someone had, le- had leprosy, it was much more, it's much more fitting to say that they were their leprosy. It wasn't just a person with leprosy. They, they were seen as their condition. Their sin defined them. Their condition defined them. And almost no one would have separated that poor suffering person from their skin condition and their supposed sin. Um, the thought would be, if this person has a divine curse on them from God for their sin, th- which is leprosy, then why should I associate in any way with this doomed and damned individual? Now put another way, it seems that God is w- unwilling to forgive them and heal them, and so um, why should I lift a finger? After all, I'm not the one that's under a curse here. That's this person. People reason that because the disease was chronic, that the, the, God's punishment of that person was chronic as well. So society and God had seemingly abandoned these poor people that suffered from leprosy. What does it say? The leper cries out, Lord, if you, are, if you want to, you can make me clean. Verse 13, Jesus reaches out his hand and says, touch the man. I'm willing. I want to. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Just imagine that this is a person who hadn't been touched for a very, very long time by anybody, except for maybe other people that were leprous and unclean outside of that community. People that were diagnosed with this um, were excluded from community completely, excluded from touch, excluded from public worship. No, no leprous person could worship in the temple. Unhealable, unforgivable, untouchable. And Jesus says, I am willing, and he touches that person and heals him. In this situation, normally, you know, the person that touches the infected person would then get the contagious disease on themselves. Instead of that, the person received the healing of Christ in their body, and they became healed of their physical sickness, which was also a social sickness, which was also a spiritual sickness. Jesus says, show yourself to the priests, have them evaluate your symptoms and see that you are cured of leprosy. Then the priests will declare you're healed, you're reinstated into public worship, you're reinstated into society. Now, Jesus healed these people uh, physically, socially, um, so- you know, in every respect. This was an amazing, amazing miracle. And it was clearly Jesus' joy to forgive and heal this person. Next, in Luke 5, 17, Jesus takes it even further. You know, Jesus is teaching to a mixed crowd with Pharisees and teachers of the law present. And the text uh, says at the end of verse 17, something I, I consider to be an interesting statement, it says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. God, God is gearing up to heal some people and Jesus sees what the Father is doing. So Jesus is discerning, discerning this that the father wants to heal somebody, and then lo and behold, a paralyzed man is lowered in front of him by his energetic friends who are trying to be helpful. They couldn't get through the crowd, so they lowered him through the roof. So he ended up right in the middle of the room, right in front of Jesus. And Jesus knows exactly what to do. When Jesus sees the faith of this group of friends, he says to the paralyzed paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Now, this definitely is, is a little surprising because you think it would be a straightforward healing. But Jesus is not just interested in bodily healing. He's not just interested in social healing. He's interested in spiritual healing as well. And he says to this person, your sins are forgiven, seeing the, seeing the faith of the man's friends. Now, of course, the, the belief is that there's no one who can forgive sins but God alone. And so this mixed crowd of teachers and Pharisees and, and, uh, and scribes were horrified that Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven. He has no right to say that unless he is saying that he is God himself. It would have been considered blasphemy to declare someone's sins to be forgiven unless that person who declared it was God. And Jesus knows their thoughts, and he says in verses 23 and 24, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has an authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, if you look at the original language, you know, it takes a lot more words to say, get up, lift your mat, and go home than it does to say your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is playing a little bit of a cheeky joke on them, just saying it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. (laughs) In verse 24, Jesus tells the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home to show the scribes and Pharisees and the crowd that he had authority to forgive sins, being God in the flesh. And the man picked up his mat and went home which verified not only is Jesus the healer, it verifies that Jesus can forgive sin. It verified that Jesus was God. So the, the religious authorities, they would have loved to do something about Jesus' blasphemy right then and there, but you can imagine this is a popular miracle. There's no way they're going to be fighting this crowd who loves Jesus and sees what he's doing and receives what he's doing off. that's just not going to happen. So in verses 25 and 26, with the religious leaders unable to do anything, the man stands up, says immediately he stood up in front of them, Took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. So, how did, how did Jesus heal? How did Jesus forgive sins? How did Jesus cleanse? Because Jesus is God's son and Jesus is a healer. God is a healer. It's his delight and his joy to heal and restore. It's what he came to do. Again, Jesus said, It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come. To call the sick, I pulled those people around myself for a reason because it's my joy to heal them. So after all this, you know Jesus is being watched closely by the religious leaders still. And the next thing those religious religious leaders see is Jesus associating with all the wrong people, tax collectors hated by their own people for being traitors and but for being um, allied with the Roman government and collecting. Uh, many times more tax money than they were, they were due, and then pocketing the to change the extra for themselves. Very much hated people. And because the, the tax collectors were so hated, all the other sinners hung out with the tax collectors, and the religious people turned up their noses and walked past them and wished that those people didn't exist. The religious leaders felt like, in fact, a resentment towards the sinners in society because they felt that it was the sinfulness of people that was keeping God from, from coming as the Messiah and rescuing His people. The Pharisees and teachers of the law believed that if everyone will just behave, then God will come and save us. But the, the truth is that uh, that's not the way it goes. Because people that are sick, they need a doctor. There's no way that sinners and tax collectors and religious leaders who are all in need of a Savior are going to bring back God by their great outstanding behavior. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Jesus came to the sick. Jesus came to those who need forgiveness. So here Jesus is at a banquet with all the tax collectors and the sinners, all the people that have been condemned by the religious leaders for their sins and for who they are, who they were, and what they did. In verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you call these people friend? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. i come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but the sinners, to repentance. So here, you know, what's been implied by all these little stories in this, in this chapter is clearly defined by Jesus himself. The healthy need don't need a doctor. I'm a doctor. I came for the sick to call the sinners to repentance. The doctor has not come to heal people who feel they have no need for his services. I know that doctors especially are grieved when people refuse treatment and refuse to be helped by what they know could be helpful, and then just the, the pain of that. And Jesus didn't come uh, to, to be stingy about forgiveness and healing. He came to give it. It's his great joy. As a doctor rejoices over his patient's health, it's why, it's why Jesus came. He rejoices over people's healing, their forgiveness, their restoration in every way. And as I said earlier, it's why uh, Jesus went to the cross. Hebrews 12, 2-3. We are encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured so much opposition from sinners so you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's funny because in light of Matthew 5, which we, or Luke 5 that we just read, it says in the Hebrews, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Who was getting, Jesus getting opposition from? The tax collectors, the scribes, and teachers of the law. He wasn't getting opposition from sinners for the most part. He was going around healing those people, and they were open to his, to his medicine. But God says those holy people were actually, in the place of sinners, blocking the fullness of Jesus' kingdom coming. Consider him. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. If you've read the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion in the end of each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know these are horrific stories. And when they're retold by people to understand the original language and and the customs of the day of Jesus, they're even more horrific to hear. The the, the crucifixion was truly horrifying. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, If if at all possible, may this cup pass from me, this crucifixion, but not my will, yours be done. And he went to the cross in prayer before God. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. That's what motivated Jesus. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him. It was joy that sent Jesus to the cross, with many tears, with much pain and suffering. And that joy was knowing that all the sick people in mind, body, spirit, socially sick people, spiritually sick people, from the beginning of time to the end of the age, whenever that is, can be forgiven, healed, and restored through his actions on that cross obeying the Father's will and going to the cross. It gave Jesus joy. Because at the cross, Jesus declared God's victory over sickness, evil, sin, sorrow, death, and all the enemies of God. How did he do that? By rising again three days later. He was vindicated completely as the Son of God and declared resurrection power is coming. Jesus endured the cross for the joy of knowing that when people look to him and his sacrifice, that at that point nothing can separate them from his love. Nothing. Not even death, which he proved to us. Nothing can separate us from the love that sent Jesus to the cross. It's why Jesus came. So, just as any good father's joy to bring good things into his children's lives, or mother's joy to heal, to forgive, to bless the children, so it is God the Father's greatest joy to lead us on the path of healing and forgiveness calling us to repentance, to turning from death towards life. And it is still Jesus' greatest joy to do this. It's why he came. I'll remind you of the, of the passage that this entire book is based on, Matthew 11, and 29. Come to Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. For Jesus is gentle and humble in heart, and in him you will find rest for your souls. He has not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He's not come for the healthy. He's come for the sick, come for you and I. Jesus, we just we come to you, Jesus. Let us be sensitive to your touch in our lives this week, God. If you're guiding us, whispering to us, calling us, we say to you, God, we are, we are the sinners. We are, we are the, the broken that need healing. And we thank you that you came for likes, the likes of us. So help us to walk with you this week closely, to know your voice, to know your presence. Thank you for the gift of grace, which has drawn us all near to God, the sacrifice of Christ. Pray this all in Jesus' name. You are dismissed to go and be the church.